0: Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast. Episode 42! This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas, and this evening, today, whatever you like to call it, it is currently 11.25 p.m. Central Time in Austin, Texas, and readings From Tromaville, once again. This is going to be the second part of my Greetings from Tromaville uh, series, we'll call it. Uh, The first episode was from episode 41, where I covered uh, Toxic Avengers 1 through 4. As, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people who have actually seen the Toxic Avenger maybe haven't seen the sequels. So I thought I'd just do... The entire series in one shot. So, and on this episode, I thought about doing a like a top ten, maybe a top five, you know, of my favorite trauma films. And I thought, uh, you know what? There's enough, uh, you know, top ten list, top ten trauma films of all time, and all. It's like there's enough of that shit that exists on the internet. I'm just going to talk about one film. <laughs> I just simplified it. I uh, um, had a. I really had probably um, uh, four movies I was going to talk about on this episode. And I said, fuck it. I'm just going to do one. Because uh, so much was covered in episode 41. So much was covered in covering Toxic Avengers 1, 2, 3, and 4 that i feel like that that franchise says so much about what trauma is what it is they do what their content is the quality of their content so what what can be expected and thinking about all the other trauma films not all of them made by the founders Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hers. no there's like Surf Nazis Must Die for instance was made by a completely different company and it was just acquired by Troma and released um, it was actually originally called Surf Nazis and then when Michael Hers and Lloyd Kaufman got it they decided to call it Surf Nazis Must Die <laughs> so good title that's a good title The and then um, you know there's uh, movies like Combat shock. Now I almost, co- uh, reviewed combat shock on this episode, but, um, I was going to do combat shock and story of a junkie. Now I recommend both of those, by the way, like combat shock. It's a, it's really dark. It's really grimy. It was done on the cheap. It's definitely a exploitation film. You know, there's it shows the horrors of war. It's very bloody and gory and, and just dirty. And Story of a Junkie, which is very, um, it's like a pseudo-documentary. It's like, you know, early Faces of Death or something, where they take some real footage, and they take some staged footage, and then they mix the two together, you know, to kind of create some kind of a narrative. But And uh, Story of a Junkie is literally Story of a Junkie, uh, <laughs> also known as Gringo, depending on where you actually see the um, see the movie I'm, I I. do have Troma Now the streaming service is called Troma Now and I haven't checked to see if Story of a Junkie is on there as Story of a Junkie or Gringo but it basically follows this guy who is a heroin addict in New York City back in the 80s and as we all know the 80s New York is like some of the coolest looking locations you can possibly have on film you know like like taxi driver you know it's like taxi driver New York is like the coolest new york right and I was like you know I didn't want to do a depressing episode <laughs> I was like I'm doing trauma I want to, I want to do something fun I don't want to do a depressing do a cover of any of the depressing movies but um yeah but I definitely recommend combat shock I definitely recommend Story of a Junkie. Go check those two out. But I'm only going to cover one film today. Tonight. Skeleton Factory. After Dark. Where I review my dick. Now, uh, today, we're going to cover the 1999 film, Terror Firmer, directed by Lloyd Kaufman. A true trauma film in that, like the Toxic Avenger films, it, at like, in terms of pointing to very specific films and, and saying, like, that's a trauma film. In terms of, like, what's the best representation of a trauma film? For me, for my opinion, I think Terra firmer is, like, it's right up there with Toxic Avenger Part 1. Like, that's that's the top two right there. That's one and two right there, in my opinion, because Terra Firmer is, I mean it's 1999, it's you know it's a decade plus older than uh, Toxic Avenger and Lloyd Kaufman and Troma Entertainment had all this time to kind of hone their skills and take the things that made trauma trauma and take find those tropes and find those sort of inside joke things like uh like I discussed in episode 41 there's a uh, a famous like car crash car flips through the air lands and explodes and that footage is originally from the 1990 film Sergeant Kabuki Man uh, NYPD Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD Sorry that's a tongue twister for me it's 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 late at night and I've just I'm I'm winding down, so I'm having a little nip of whiskey right now, so. Oh, boy. Also, I went to uh, the movies today. I went to Alamo Draft House here in Austin, Texas, in what they call their village location. And it's kind of, it looks like they built it inside of a old Chuck E. Cheese or a if you're from California, you'll know the, uh, the restaurant pea soup Anderson's. That's what this Alamo draft house looks like. It looks really old. And I went and saw, <clears throat> I went and saw a showing of blade runner final cut. And I am a giant blade runner fan. Like if you, anyone out there ever wants to contact me on social media and just wants to talk about blade runner, like I'll, I'll chop it up with you about blade runner. I love Blaine Runner. I'm one of those obsessive Blade Runner people. And uh, anytime it's playing in a theater, I try to go. So, and today was no exception. I could have been recording this that you're hearing right now today, but I decided to get drunk at Alamo and watch Blade Runner <laughs> Final Cut. And it was great. I went in there and it was exactly what you uh, would expect. It's a bunch of dudes my age. Wearing shorts. It's like a uniform. It's like t-shirt, shorts, dad shoes, goofy hat. Everyone's drinking Electric Jellyfish IPA. That's like the fucking that's the IPA of Austin. You know, it's like <laughs> cuz I sat down, ordered Jack and Coke just to, and I just pounded it. You know, just to cool myself off from the drive. And then uh you know, the servers come over and that like me and all the dudes around me, it's like everyone ordered a fucking electric jellyfish. It's pretty fucking good beer. But yeah, I got hammered to watch Blade Runner. And uh, when I was leaving the theater, I thought about it. I was like, I must have watched Blade Runner at least, I don't know, a minimum of probably 200 times, which is crazy. I don't think I've watched anything that much. Like Blade Runner's, yeah, and the and the way I racked up watching it so many times was I was already a big fan of it um, before. I, okay, there was a there was like a year, there was like a year and a couple of months where I was working as an overnight bread baker out in San Francisco, and <laughs> I don't know. One day I just got the idea in my head where I'm like, I wanna I wanna bake bread. I wanna make bread by hand. And I got a job at this, like, really well-known uh, bakery, but they're open 24 hours, you know, just just the actual factory baking part of it, and the only thing they had to offer was an 11 p.m. to 9 a.m. shift just baking bread, and it was me and, like, 20 other people just white-knuckling it, trying not to fall asleep standing up and shit, and yeah, you know, that's um why well, would I would get off work, I'd get off work at nine, I'd uh I'd walk home right, right as the fucking sun was rising in San Francisco, and then I would uh you know close all the fucking curtains and then I would put on Blade Runner and this is the perfect movie to go to sleep to. And I did that every single day, you know, like five days a week for, you know, About a year and two or three months, give or take. So, I mean, 52 weeks a year, watching it one to two times a day, plus the years I was watching it before that. I'm like, I kind of did the math, and I was like, I must have seen Blade Runner at least 200 times. So, um, and now today it's 201. That's fucking great. So... That's why we're getting a late start tonight, but it's fine. It's fine. But let's get into Terror Firmer. Like I said before, it is it is a quintessential trauma movie. You know, it's like top two for me. It's Toxic Avenger, Terror Firmer. They're the most, like, they don't even need sound. You can just look at it and be like, that's a trauma movie. You know, they got the Kabuki flip. They got the Kabuki car flip. They have the keep Kabuki man's like in it sort of um, Lloyd Kaufman's in it. He's basically playing himself. I mean, you know, it's. um, And then it's got all these like random props from other movies in it and sort like that. It's it's a great way to end 1999 and 1999 was a great year for movies. I did an episode, I don't know how many episodes ago, but I basically broke down the top 10 years, top 10 best years for movies in the 1990s. So that was a very long three-part series. <laughs> but I think 1999, I think was like, I, 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 according to the list I had at the time, I think I said 1999 was the second best year of movies in the 90s. I think it was only beaten out by 1990. Yeah, but 1999, you know, you got all the big movies like, um, like The Matrix and Fight Club and shit like that. And it's good shit. And fucking Terror Firmer came out the same year. A great way to end the 90s. So it was 1999. And, uh, Terror firmer drops and it's a story that starts with a serial killer that's loose in New York city. And this movie at its heart is a slasher film, which is great. It's one of those things I always wish that (laughs) trauma did more of. I mean, they definitely have like (laughs) people committing murder in their movies, but but Terra Firmer's a very different take on like just a straight up slasher film. And I don't know. I, I feel like people kind of forget that Terra Firmer is like it's a slasher movie. You know? Um, it's kind of somewhere between you know what it's like? It's I, I thought about it and I'm thinking like Terra Firmer is a cross between if Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill meets Tropic Thunder but it's directed by the creators of South park and they shot it in New York city. That's basically terror firmer. So serial killer, the serial killer out on the loose in New York. We open with three murders, three murders perpetrated by a mysterious woman, with dark hair, sunglasses, wearing dark clothes. She looks like Carmen Sandiego. That's who she looks like. And her first victim, she tears off this dude's leg and then like beats him to death with it. And then immediately after that, there's a scene where the same woman is uh, attacks a pregnant sunbathing woman sitting on the roof of a building in New York. She like walks up to her and then just reaches into her stomach and tears out her unborn child. Um, (laughs) it's like, sure. Um, so the victim, uh, the, the woman who had her baby removed from her, uh, is reading all I need to know about filmmaking. I learned from watching toxic Avenger, which is a book written by Lloyd Kaufman and James Gunn, who would go on to, uh, be very very successful in hollywood but <laughs> it sounds like trauma has you know papa john's pizza you know advertisements and in, sprinkled inside their their movies or sony or anything like that you know so that, so they basically hawk their own shit inside their own movies and one of those things is the book "All I Need to Know About Filmmaking" I learned from the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy that book someday. Um, it's currently not available on Trauma's website. It's it's there, but it's only it's a it's only a Japanese version. Uh, is it Japanese or is it German? Well, whatever it is, I don't speak whatever uh, language it is, so I'm gonna have to probably go dig around somewhere else for a for a copy. But maybe I'll bring back the Skeleton Factory book club and do a review on that book. Maybe, maybe not. Don't hold it. Don't hold me to that. So, um. Also, we get another murder, and it's it's and this murder is like all three of these murders are like, okay, this is the type of movie you're in for. You have a, a woman tearing off a dude's leg with her bare hands and beating him to death with it, uh, reaching into a woman's stomach and tearing out a fetus. And then the third guy is dead on his couch and he's like buried up to his neck in breakfast cereal, like cornflakes. And, um, you know, just so you can have a scene of, like, the police investigating the the murder scene and saying, like, oh, it must be a, a serial killer. Mmm. That old joke. Yeah, they, but that's, they're setting up, like, this is the movie that this is going to be. So, you've been warned. <laughs> also, uh, the guy in the beginning who's uh, buried, I don't... I don't know if he was like fed to death, like just fed cereal till he died. I think that's what the implication was. Is they uh, it was like in it was like in seven where they like feed the fat guy until he burst. I think I, it looks like maybe he was fed uh, uh, a cereal called Toxibites, it's a breakfast cereal with a toxic avenger on it. And I don't know if, in even as a goof, somebody was like, "Oh, let's just let's just." Let's make some Toxic Avenger breakfast cereal. Just, let's just do a run of that. That'd be fun. If that's out there, I'm going to make a note of that. That's one of those corny fucking props that I'd be a sucker for put in the studio. I'm going to, I'm going to write a note for that right now. Toxie. Bites. Box. Lovely. Note taken. So, also, it's like, they keep, they show, like, they cut the, like, uh, headlines after every uh, murder happens. So, just to demonstrate the passing of time. It's not like this Carmen Diego killer is, like, killing all these people in one day. Like, murder happens, news picks up on it, and then later on, another murder, and so on. And the news headlines for the, the serial killer murder was, uh, it, it says, like, Congress bans breakfast, which is I, I just found to be very funny, because I could see something like that actually happening. Like someone will just say that like breakfast is inherently a racist meal, and we have to eliminate it from all the Denny's and Mel's diners, and we need to shut down Waffle House. Just just the meal of breakfast itself is dangerous to America. And its soul so um this is 1999 i mean they must have thought like this is this what would be the most absurd headline and now it's 2022 and it's that's not if i told somebody that that was uh, a headline from a reputable quote-unquote reputable news source that um somebody is a there was a headline that someone wants to get rid of the the meal of breakfast because of whatever reason. I think there's people who would like just look at me straight face and nod and be like, "Well, yeah, like sure. I can be convinced into eliminating breakfast if it suits my needs, <laughs> if it makes me look like a better person to other people." But um so we established that there's a killer on the loose. Okay. So now, uh, we jump to a film set. It's a trauma film is being shot and, uh, it's, it's actually a toxic Avenger film. It's like a toxic Avenger sequel that, uh, isn't real, but, um, (laughs) in the movie, they have to be shooting a movie. So they're shooting a toxic Avenger movie. So, um, on the set, we're introduced to all of our main characters we have. Well, um, I think mean, this isn't one of the main characters, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, there's actress uh, uh, Debbie Rashawn, a trauma regular and total indie film scream queen um, legend, dare I say. Uh, she plays the character of Christine and the director... Character of Larry Benjamin is played by the director Lloyd Kaufman, but he's he's uh, he's basically playing himself. He's playing Lloyd Kaufman, but he's blind. He's playing a blind version of himself. So that's there's that, and then there's the character of uh, Jerry, who's the special effects guy on the movie, and there's a lot of blood and gore scenes and you know dismemberments and things like that and uh thing th- th- stuff to do with bodily fluids a lot of that stuff in trauma movies so that's where jerry that's his job he's the bodily fluids guy and special effects on the uh, on this particular film and he's played by trent Haga and We have the character of Casey, who's a boom mic operator on this film. And uh, he's played by Will Keenan, who you'll know as Tromeo from Tromeo and Juliet. Another film that I could have brought up, but I I like this movie more than Tromeo and Juliet. So I'm talking about this one. And then, last but not least, we have... Uh, the character of Jennifer, who's a production assistant on the film. And uh, she is played by Alice Lattrell. And um, so we establish all of our main characters. We establish that there's a movie being shot. And there is a character who kind of looks like Jay from Jane, Silent Bob um uh, the character is uh, named the Todster and the Todster uh gets into a gets into a bit of a tiff with uh, one of his superiors on the movie and then quits and he takes off in a huff and so we basically jump to that night where the Todster lives in what's described as a frat house and there's a big party big party at the frat house and uh the mysterious woman in sunglasses the Carmen San Diego uh, lady shows up and um she seduces the the uh, intoxicated Toddster and uh actually at the party too uh, I need to point out that there's like this uh statue I don't know it's like a statue of like a I don't know if it's like a Greek you know there's like Greek naked dude statues there's uh, there's, it's like that and but the guy's kind of doing this like uh, like burnt Reynolds and Playgirl magazine type of pose Uh, almost a Michael Jackson thriller (laughs) pose and in his in his dick is shooting out uh, I'm I imagine is uh, some sort of uh, party punch of some kind some type of beverage and, but his dick is the dick of the evil Toxy from Toxic Avenger Part 4, Citizen Toxie. It's like this monster penis thing. And that's what's the dick on this statue. So a little callback there. But uh, yeah, it's Carmen San Diego uh, Seduces the todster and is like, hey, take me back to your room. So they go up to the room. They start fooling around. And, uh, Carmen San Diego immediately takes control and strips the tobster nude. And then there's a, like a beer bong in the room. And, um, uh, and a beer bong is just basically like a, fu- a simple plastic funnel with a long clear tube. If you don't know what a fucking beer bong is, if you're listening to this, and you don't know what a beer bong is. I don't, I don't, I can't help you. So, Carmen Sandiego grabs this beer uh, funnel and jams it up the Todster's ass, and then picks up his uh, big glass bong off the table, and then dumps dirty bong water inside the funnel, going into the Todster's ass. And then there's like a there's like a bunch of cocaine on the table, and uh, it's in a pan for some reason. It's like in a frying pan, and she just picks up the pan and just starts dumping cocaine into the funnel so now he's got a combination of dirty bong water and cocaine flooding his anal cavity so I mean depending on who you are that's probably not the worst time ever that, that, that can be pretty fun uh, so but the, after the Toddster sort of explains to her that his uh, Hershey Highway is a one way street she uh flips him over, throws him back on a, on this futon, and then breaks the bong, breaks the bong, and then begins stabbing him with the cracked, sharp, uh, um, broken bong, and just stabs the shit out of him, uh, stab, stabs him so badly that he, uh, cracks open his head, and she's able to pull out his brain, and then throw it into the pan of cocaine and shake it around. It, it almost looks like she's dredging it, like she's dredging like a piece of catfish or something like that. But um, I think the the point was, uh, hey, this is your brain on drugs. That was the message. You know that's you know, say no to drugs, kids. Uh, traumas, you know, tackling the tough issues, and uh, also. And there's actually a continuity joke in this movie, but uh, the blood continuity in this particular murder scene of the Toddster was uh, not the best. And there was definitely some blood continuity, but who gives a fuck about that? I do, apparently. Apparently, that's something that bothered me enough to bring up. But it doesn't really bother me, because the murder scene, I thought, was great. Up until this point, we have, you know, we have four good murder scenes, just like in the first few minutes of the movie. Fantastic. Also, if you listen to episode 41, well, in the background scene um in the the background score to the scene where the Tots is getting murdered, there's a song playing called My Time Is uh, Yet To Com- My Time Is Yet To Come by the band Blood for Blood. They're a hardcore punk band from Boston, Massachusetts. And that's the song that's playing in the background. And that's also I mentioned in episode 41 that um, I used to drive a, a 96 Saturn and uh, I, I ended up getting in a car wreck in front of while leaving a, a hardcore show back in LA back but way back in the day and that hardcore show I went to go see blood for blood <laughs> so, full circle so I'm sitting here watching the tots or get murdered I'm just, I can hear blood for blood in the background and I just am reminded of a a horrific car crash from uh, 20 years ago. (laughs) So, um, so now we kind of, we jump back into our characters from the, who are working on the movie. Okay. So we have Casey, the boom mic operator guy and, uh, and Jerry, They both have the hots for the P.A., Jennifer, and uh, Casey, his whole kind of thing is he is obsessed with big budgeted mainstream movies like he's like he thinks Steven Spielberg is like the greatest director that ever lived. And he actually has sort of a a distaste for, um, you know, independent cinema like he finds indie films to be sort of uh, like uh, there's like no redeemable value in them which is funny because he works on an independent film for an independent film company but he's always kind of huffing and puffing about it and and uh and Casey also, uh, also like uh he, he kind of looks like a Richard Grico if you know who Richard Grico is Okay, so he's not a bad looking guy and then we have Jerry and Jerry the uh, special effects guy he also he loves trauma he is a company man for trauma and he loves independent filmmaking he loves the spirit of it he loves the rebellious DIY spirit of making a movie and not having to answer to you know, advertisers or big companies and um, so he's right where he needs to be like he's not bitching and moaning like Casey is um, and Jennifer's very much the same way you know but you know she eventually wants to become a film director herself but she's sort of at the bottom of the bottom of the pile right now like she's working as PA but that's what she's aspiring to be someday is a director, and, and Jerry, uh, he he looks like, who does he look like? He looks like a uh, not-as-interesting uh, Steve Buscemi. Kind of looks like Steve Buscemi, but he doesn't quite have that Steve Buscemi charm. And by charm, I mean like a fucked-up grill. So... Um, so they both have the, like the the hots for Jennifer and, and Jennifer, I mean, she's kind of looking for some dick. Like that's, she's, she knows that these two guys are kind of into her and she, like, she kind of likes the attention, but you know, she's not being, she's not being too slutty about it. She's just kind of like feeling out. She's playing the field, you know, she's being a little cautious. So we get a scene uh, where Casey and Jennifer go out on a date and it's very mellow. They, they go out to like a coffee shop, you know, just kind of nothing, nothing crazy. And we get a flashback scene where, uh, cause Casey's basically talking about like, uh, okay. So Casey, <laughs> Casey is, uh, He's obsessed with uh, pickles and pickling. Pickling, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the the art of pickling. He loves it. He because it was something that his dad taught to him when he was a kid. So it's like a, so it's an interest of his. So we get a flashback scene, um, and the flashback scene is very meta. Because Jennifer's like, hey, how about you show me what you're talking about in the form of a flashback? And he's like, okay. And they both kind of like stare up and we get the fucking doodle doodle doodle. And we get a flashback scene when Casey's a kid and he's home with his parents and his dad is Ron Jeremy, who I've mentioned in the uh, previous episode is a w- awaiting trial. He's, um, he's looking at at least from the reports I'm looking at, upwards of 30 counts of sexual assault and rape. So, um, I don't know. I, I've, I have always, like Ron Jeremy always gave me the fucking creeps. You know what I mean? Like just, just some people you're just like, there's something up with that fucking guy. And then it turns out um, I was right. I didn't predict uh, Bill Cosby. I I did not see that coming. So I mean, neither did the women. Apparently, ooh boy. So. <laughs> so um. So yeah. So that's kind of where uh, Casey gets his obsession with his like weird pickle obsession. Um, also, Casey, um, Casey and Jennifer, they they go on their dates. One thing leads to another and they go back to Casey's house and there is a sex scene. Now it's more of a let's pleasure the woman type of sex scene where uh, goes down on Jennifer. Then he reaches over to um, a jar of pickles that's nearby and then uh, proceeds to uh, fuck Jennifer with a pickle. (laughs) Pickled cucumber to be specific. So in, ca- in case you forgot, you're watching a trauma movie. One of our main characters gets fucked passionately with a pickle. So there's that. That's a thing that happens in this movie. So then we jump to another murder scene. Because, I mean, there's a serial killer on the loose, right? We get another murder scene from uh, Carmen Sandiego. This time... Uh, Carmen San Diego um, basically uh, seduces one of uh, the characters, the character of uh, Jacob Gelman. and Jacob Gelman's character is that he is a he's the main investor on this particular trauma film and he's and he, it sounds like he's probably one of the main investors in general for trauma. and he's played by actor Joe Flyshaker. And Joe Flyshaker is a regular in um, in *Troma*. He was in *Toxic Avengers* two, three, and four. In four, uh, he played the character of Lardass. So, if you remember Lardass, he, you know he's the one that eats the time bomb in the beginning of the movie. He's uh, he is in those movies. He's uh, in *Poultrygeist*. He's in *Tromeo* and *Juliet*, along with uh, with Casey and um so he kind of gets wooed while um going back to i guess his apartment, but he lives in an apartment complex that has a escalator so but i guess he's rich so that's you know if you're rich you and you live in an apartment you know your apartment complex better have a fucking escalator also uh <laughs> joe flyshaker um uh, the uh well like, well, Jacob Gilman, his character's name. He's fat as fuck. Like he's a big boy. Like he's probably entering my six hundred pound life level levels of fat. So he gets to the, I can see the apartment complex and Carmen Sandiego's there, and it's a thing where he's just like, "Hey, I want to come up to my apartment." and She's like, "Oh, sure." So they're going up the escalator, and then while they're going up the escalator, she pulls a fire axe off the wall, whacks him in the head, and he falls down. And then he ends up when he gets to the top of the escalator, he gets stuck in the um, not elevator escalator. He gets stuck in the escalator and starts being eaten up by the escalator. He starts getting fed into the fucking uh, into where the escalator goes into the floor. Which is, you know, that's a thing from childhood, right? You know, you'll have some asshole sibling or an adult time like, be careful on the escalator because it'll, you know, if you get stuck in there, it'll fucking eat you and kill you. <laughs> At least that's what people told me when I was a kid. Like, people, people were fucking mean to children when I was a kid, so. Uh, <laughs> but that's indeed what happens. He gets whacked in the head with a fucking axe, and then the escalator just chews him up. And he dies, and um, and afterwards, uh, like a news crew shows up, and one of the actual interviewers is Lemmy from Motorhead. So he, you know, he's back in this uh, movie as well. And Joe Flyshaker, I got to give a shout out because he died on May twenty third of twenty sixteen. The significance of that date is May twenty third is my birthday. So rest in peace, Joe Flyshaker. But the body count is definitely going up now. After this, we get another murder, this time on the set. And Larry Benjamin, Lloyd Kaufman's character. um, Well, okay, so... So, there's like a police interrogation scene where the police are interrogating all the people who work on the uh, movie. And uh, Lloyd Kaufman's character actually says something very interesting. He, he's like, okay, he's like, I think there's a conspiracy out there uh, perpetrated by the, uh, by the conservatives. And what they do is they, they send people dressed up like toxic Avenger to um, go uh, sabotage uh, movie sets. And, uh, and, um, and, and all of this is connected to Hillary Clinton. And I was like, that's really interesting. Because <laughs> this is 1999, and Lloyd Kaufman had the foresight to be like, better keep her eye on the Clintons, okay? Because they're up to shit. So uh, I thought that that little scene was interesting. I'd be interested to see what uh, Lloyd Kaufman's um, opinion on the Clintons is in the year 2022. So, uh <laughs> So, um... After this whole interrogation scene, everyone's kind of, like, let go. You know what I mean? The cops don't have anything, so... This is followed up by uh, three more deaths immediately after this. And this time... um, All the deaths are, like... Kind of, like, freak accidents that take place on the set. Okay, so... The killer has gotten uh, good at covering her tracks. Where it's like... Well, no one saw a murder happen. Everyone saw, kind of, like, a freak accident happen, so... So um, maybe the maybe the you know this particular movie is cursed in some way. You know, so um, one of these freak accidents um, includes the famous scene where there's a guy who gets smashed in between two large trucks, like almost like I don't know, they they look like UPS trucks or something. There's two of them, and they and they they both back up into each other but they hit they hit a guy backing into each other so the actual van doesn't even fucking hit the guy it just chops his legs off at like the knees and then the when the when the van's pull away he just falls on the ground and his legs are over here the rest of his body is over here and the guy just like uh, bleeds out it's a uh, it's a good scene it's a good scene it was a creative death And you need that in horror movies. You you want a slasher film? You got to have creative deaths. That's just all there is to it. And this movie is just like one death after another. Just bam, 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 bam. It's great. Uh, Not since the 80s have you seen this type of body count with such efficiency. So there's basically the scene where... um, (laughs) After the the truck smashing the guy's leg scene... uh, Where Jerry and Jennifer have to fill in for two of the main stars. Jerry has to fill in for the actor who is playing Toxie. And Jennifer has to fill in uh, for Debbie Rashawn's character. Because the two of them were like the uh, stars of this particular Toxic Avenger movie. And um, they basically become incapacitated. And, um, but I'm not going to get into that, but. One thing leads to another, and they both can't uh, work on the film anymore. So Jerry and Jennifer got to step in and fill in their uh, the rest of their scenes. But their their next scene is like a sex scene, and actually, I'll just I'll just cover it really quick. Basically, uh, <laughs> Debbie Rashawn gets her nose broken, and um, the actor playing Toxie, he almost drowns to death in a porta potty filled with shit. So. That's why they can't be on the, but, but both of the reasons why they're, you know, their unfortunate situations is, is also very suspect. So basically Jennifer has to have a sex scene. Um, they have to have a sex scene together and, but it ends up getting a little too steamy and ends up with the two of them actually uh, having sex in front of the entire crew on camera. So um, because, you know, there was sort of this bubbling attraction between the two of them and this scene just uh, kind of, you know, made everything bubble up to the surface. And there you go. The entire crew just watches the two of them uh, have sex. (laughs) Fantastic. So we cut now to uh, Carmen Sandiego uh, strolling down the street and she gets picked up by kind of two pervy French guys. And I think they think that she's a hooker and she's probably presenting herself as one. Um, But she, um, she ends up vomiting all over the two guys in the car because they're both in the front seat and then she sits in between and she vomits on both of the guys and like vomits all over the dash and on the window and everything. And it's gross. And they pull over, and they politely um, they politely ask her to leave the vehicle. <laughs> and she gets out, and um, one of the French guys uh, kind of makes a jab towards Carmen San Diego about the size of her uh, her breasts, and this comment kind of uh, kind of pissed off Carmen San Diego. So she's like, you know what? Now I feel like killing a big titted bitch. So then we kind of cut to back on the set where Carmen Sandiego has snuck onto the set with a shotgun and shoots a uh, some random actress with giant fake tits who's going to be in the uh, in the movie ends up shooting her big giant tits and making them uh, just explode. So, which I'm sure kills her as well. So, <laughs> so now we have another murder. This time on set and. Um, I don't don't think anyone can call that an accident. It's pretty clear that it was a murder. (laughs) But this causes a huge panic, and everyone on the set just scatters. Which makes sense. You know, shotguns are loud. If you hear a shotgun, you'll probably end up uh, running yourself. Especially in a crowd of people. So right before this, uh, Jerry is taking a... uh, He's taking a live cast, a mold of this like pudgy, uh, naked guy. He's he's doing a mold of his entire head. So it's this thing where he's, uh, kind of covers him in plaster and bandages. And he's like, okay, just sit there. Don't move. I'm taking a mold of your head. I'll be back in a little bit. So, uh, after the scene where like, you know, okay, we're okay. So there's a scene where the shotgun goes off. Ladies, giant silicone tits explode. We get a, uh, In that everyone starts... Everyone runs. Everyone scatters, right? So we get a scene... This uh, montage, if you will... Of the... uh, The guy with the kind of plaster cast around his head. And he is... He is completely naked. For some reason. He's completely naked. And we get this montage of him running around New York. Like, I mean, totally dick out. But naked. And... Let's see. He runs through Times Square, like down Forty Second Street, uh, where the Washington, the Washington Square, where the big arch is. Uh, I mean, and I mean in broad daylight they shot this, which I can't imagine them shooting this nowadays. A guy with bandages covering his entire head running around naked, and I mean, also this guy has kind of a big boy but he's got a tiny penis like he's got like Gigi Allen like level small penis like Gigi Allen has a bigger dick than this guy put it, put it that way so um, you know you know I'm sure you you can reference your dead punk rocker lead singer dick size chart in your mind and you can kind of see this whole scene coming together so the uh, naked guy uh, at the end of his uh, montage he like runs through an alley and he um he slips and falls on a banana peel and the two french guys from earlier are uh their their car the interior of their car is still completely covered in vomit and it obscures the the windshield they should have just pulled over that seems like the most logical thing to do, but they're trying to like drive with all this puke on the window. And they're like, Uh oh, monsieur, I can't see anything. you know. And then they, and the car comes around the corner and it hits a parked car. And, the and this movie decides this is a good opportunity to insert the uh, kabuki flip. So we get the kabuki car flip and the car, when it lands, it lands on the naked guy's head who just, Slips on a banana peel. <laughs> lands on his head. His head explodes. And then the car explodes. Because that's part of the kabuki flip. Car Hits another car. 360's in the air. Lands and then explodes. So this time hits a naked guy. Explodes. Kills the guy. And the two guys inside. So after this... Uh, Carmen Sandiego kills this uh, this dude who's like a ventriloquist <laughs> he's like uh, she's basically still playing they're like hey I'm a prostitute and there's like this guy in the movie who's like a ventriloquist and he walks around with this ventriloquist dummy and is like hey uh, you know let's go back to your place so they go back to his place and she like ties him up to the bed and she uh, cuts his ventriloquist hand off like the one he's sticks up inside the uh, his ventriloquist dummy and then pulls out the guy's dick and then begins to stretch it like it's a like a stretch Armstrong tall and I think uh, somehow that kills the guy somehow so I had another one to uh, Carmen San Diego's body count so um, after this Carmen San Diego takes off and goes, um, I mean, you assume that she goes home looking very distraught. Goes in her room, sits down at the uh, the vanity, I guess it's called. Sits down at the vanity and looks in the mirror and removes uh, her hair. She's wearing a wig. She removes the wig to reveal that she was actually the character of Casey the whole time. So right at this time, Jennifer stops by Casey's house, is unaware any of this is happening. Casey's unaware that she's just popping, just popping in for a visit. So she walks into his place and then walks into his bedroom to find, uh, and she's never been into his bedroom, by the way. So when they had their whole, like, he fucked her with a pickle scene, I think that was like in their living room or some shit. Like, he so so Casey never pulled out his dick. He actually never took off his clothes, you know. And then he fucked her with a pickle, as we all know. So he was hiding the fact that uh, Casey was, you know, hiding some of his uh, his lady parts from Jennifer. She walks into his room to find all these fucking jars on shelves of, like, pickled human remains from his victims. Um, and it's a lot of fucking jars. It's more than, like, the dude from fucking Necromantic. <laughs> if you've seen the York Bucharite fucking classic film, Necromantic. It's, a, it's about a guy who's, like, uh, he picks up, uh... I don't know, he works for, like, a morgue or something. He, like, picks up dead bodies off the road and, uh... He steals body parts and corpses so him and his girlfriend can go home and fuck him. But he, like, keeps in jars on a shelf in his room. But this this is, like, next level. Like, Casey has, like, fuckloads of jars. And in the jars contains remains from his victims from earlier on in the film. So it's a lot of fucking jars. So Jennifer walks in the room and she's like, what the fuck is going on? And then Casey appears out of nowhere and, like, puts her... Uh handcuffs on her, puts her hands behind her back and handcuffs her. And Jennifer, now we have the, the, what I like to call the why are you doing this scene? And it's the part in every fucking slasher movie where the killer is revealed. And it's specifically movies where there's a mass killer. No one knows who's doing it. No one knows why. And then when the killer finally revealed at the end, it's like Scooby-Doo. You know, they reveal the killer, and then the killer... Uh, someone eventually goes, like, why are you doing this? And then you have a whole scene where the, the killer just explains why they're doing what they're doing instead of just killing the protagonist right then and there. So, Casey goes back in his explanation of, like, like why he's been masquerading as a, as a woman and killing people. Uh, so, we go back to that flashback from their date earlier on in the movie and the flashback of, uh, of his childhood. And in that flashback, he explains that, uh, his dad, uh, Ron Jeremy sort of groomed him to be this like boy slash a girl kind of non-binary this is before the, like, that term was really kicked around. He, so, so, <laughs> Casey is basically an uh, intersex person, okay? He has male and female genitalia, and he has breasts as well, okay? But uh, he presents as male. So, there's that. And <laughs> so, what Ron Jeremy did is he would dress up Casey like a girl, and molest him. And it's fucking gross. Especially knowing now what we know about Ron Jeremy. It's like John Ron Jeremy was gross before. <laughs> but like now looking back now, it's just like my god, all the red flags were there. It's a fucking red flag factory, and Ron Jeremy was the owner. But here's a here's a quick scene from that flashback of Ron Jeremy talking to his young son, Casey. You don't even know who I am. (laughs) What I am. As my father told me, to be a man, I must become a woman. My only strength would be to drive men crazy. He told me that to be a good little boy is to be a good little girl. And to be a good little girl, I must want to be fucked, sucked, touched, and molested. It wasn't my fault that I do what I do. The fault is yours. Your daddy had to choose what he wanted you to be. It is your tits and your pussy that put out the lust in me in the first place. Your daddy just wants to teach you. Your daddy wants to make you whole. That's it. Make you, make you perfect. See, look at you. You're beautiful. My son, Casey. I love you, daddy. It's enough to make your fucking skin crawl. So now Casey uh, reveals that he has breasts. He has a vagina. And he has a small, nubby penis an angry inch if you will except uh (laughs) but this explains why Casey um fucked her with a pickle earlier on and it also explains his pickle fetish because you know he doesn't just like pickles he likes pickling his victims and it was something that was taught to him by his dad so clearly his dad was a child molesting psycho as well so so Casey has Jennifer cornered, and he begins to uh, he 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 begins to, he uh, begins to rape her. But uh, Jennifer ends up turning the tables on Casey, and this is something that was kind of set up earlier on in the movie, where she pretends to enjoy the rape, and what this does is this will uh, like cause Casey to kind of recoil and almost be sickened from the fact that she's taking pleasure in this and it kind of takes away the, the power of the rapist and when Casey begins to recoil and in, in, in discuss um, she ends up like bitch slapping him throws him down on the bed and begins to rape him so now she's raping the rapist. Interesting turn of events. And Casey can't handle it. He's like screaming in fear as, and and he's being in the whole thing is she's now raping him, and he's like terrified, screaming in fear. And and once she uh, comes, because that happens, um, she she rides his nub to completion. Uh, Casey gets up and runs behind this curtain that's in the corner of his room. And he's like screaming for his daddy. He's just like, no, 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 daddy, daddy, daddy. And he like runs away and he like dips around the corner where this like big curtain is. And then this gives Jennifer enough time to find the cuff keys, uncuff herself, and then goes over to where the curtain is. And when she pulls back the curtain, She pulls back the curtain to reveal that Casey has kept his dad, Ron Jeremy, in a cage in his room for who knows how long. Like, you know, I I mean, maybe years. Who knows? He's uh, so Ron Jeremy's, Jeremy's kind of hideously deformed. He's missing an eye. He's missing his nose. He's missing some fingers. I think he's moved, missing his tongue, and he's missing his uh, famous penis. So, uh, but he's like in this cage, and he's now he's just sort of like this sort of mangled freak. Oh, all those body parts, by the way, his eye and his nose and his dick and all that, all that stuff are in pickle jars. So <laughs> it's, it's not like they're just randomly missing, like. Casey has uh, put his dad in a cage and has slowly started removing parts of his dad and pickling them while keeping him alive in this fucking cage. But also, uh, I mean, Casey ran back there because he was distraught from the uh, his failed rape attempt. And uh, Ron Jeremy like reaches through the cage and is sort of like petting Casey, trying to comfort him. And, and Casey's like crying and. And it's, and he begins singing. Uh, Ger- Ron Jeremy begins singing, and he doesn't have a tongue, so it's like this, kind of like, like uh, it sounds like a deaf person trying to talk. It's like this, fucking he's singing "Amazing Grace," and just petting fucking Casey's hair, and it's like genuinely creepy. Like it's, I don't know, I get creeped out by, the most random shit, and I'm just like, Ugh, that's fucking it makes my skin crawl. But, so um, during all this. <sighs> This insanity, Jennifer now is like fuck this, and she decides to get away. So she gets away, and um, before Casey goes to go after her, he feeds Ron Jeremy his own pickled penis. So that that so that happens. That's a thing, and uh, she runs back to where the set is where everyone's at and she runs back to the set and tells jerry what just happened and not not more than a few seconds after that um casey arrives on set and his makeup is smeared he's wearing a very tasteful red silk robe but he's also holding like a, like a bomb in his hand and everyone on the set is completely freaked out and he explains that um because this is sort of like the second part of uh, the like the why are you doing this moment. He's basically kind of explaining why he's doing everything that he's doing, and he explains that Ron Jeremy cut off his dick when he was a kid so that he could quote have a little girl to fuck. Fucking horrifying, right? And it's it's funny. Oh, did I mention this movie is a comedy? <laughs> All this is played for for yucks. All this is just played for humor, and uh, I would say um, this the this sort of scene where Casey is um, kind of explaining his whole his whole reason for going on this murder spree and why he's so fucked up is um, it's it's really like it's really some of the best acting in probably not just this movie but pretty much um, maybe any tr- uh, trauma movie ever. Just the character of Casey at the end of uh terror Firmer is pretty damn good. So the crew at this point is pushing Jerry to like, like dude, talk him down, dude. And he's, he's, he's clearly here after you and Jennifer. Okay. So you, you need to fucking try to talk some sense in this fucking guy because he's got a fucking bomb and he's going to fucking kill all of us. So, we get a whole thing where we get a full view of uh, Casey's feminine boobies and his plaster cast looking vagina and stump penis that makes Jerry puke. Um, there's a lot of puke in this movie. Uh, so, so anyone out there uh, who's not into, you know, just just a heads up. There's a lot of uh, bodily uh, secretions in this movie. I mean, it's not like guso milk levels but it's enough to unsettle the stomachs of those who may have an aversion to vomit and fecal matter also if you (laughs) if those things I just talked about bother you or you find them very nauseating and gross and you just don't like looking at them um, don't look up what guso milk is Gusomilk milk is a kind of pseudo pornographic uh, film that contains all the things I just mentioned namely fecal matter and vomiting so I'm just gonna leave that right there so uh, Casey ends up um, throwing the bomb into the crowd of um, of all the all the people on the, or uh, the crew of the movie, and everyone runs. Everyone fucking scatters, and um, and Lloyd Kaufman, uh, the, well the character of Larry, who plays the director, he uh, selflessly jumps on the bomb right when it explodes, sacrificing himself to save his crew, and the crew at this point has had enough and they decide to team up against Casey because they realize like well he only had one bomb and there's more of us than there are of him so let's get this motherfucker basically they end up uh, getting some gasoline and a lighter and um, well actually more specifically they, they, they light Casey on fire but the way they do it is they One guy throws gasoline on uh, Casey and then they use the ass of a very flatulent crew member to light his fart on fire to ignite Casey who's covered in gasoline. And I will give credit to the movie uh, that they did establish the crew member who's very flatulent so there was a payoff to that. They set up the the character who works on the movie. He farts a lot. And you kind of remember that guy because he's the guy who farts all the time. And then by the end of the movie, his, his ass comes in handy. And um, they basically uh, burn Casey alive. And then um, a safety crew comes in because... Uh, And they basically put him out. They should have just let him fucking burn, but they uh (laughs) this like safety crew for the movie runs in and uh extinguishes the flames. Casey finally meets his end, he finally dies when um what was it fucking? Lloyd Kaufman has a he has a young mute daughter and in the film. Okay, so this is her time to shine now where she takes a I forgot what it was. It was it's it's rather like a broom handle, or like a mop stick, or something like that. it. Might it might even be like a like a boom mic arm or something. But she basically picks it up and then impales Casey through his vagina, and the pole goes through the vagina and out his ass, and that ultimately is what uh, kills Casey. So Casey's dead. We jump to a... Um, after, after, you know... This is a little time after this... We jump to a screening... Of this unfinished film... Um, that this... You know... That they've been working on the entire movie. So... Uh, the, so... Uh, it's being screened at a theater... With all of the surviving cast members in attendance. And Jerry and Jennifer make this very inspiring speech... To the crew... Uh, at the end that like like you know we've been through a lot and we lost Larry but you know between all of us we should all band together and finish the film that our dear old blind director Larry didn't get to finish and everyone jumps up and is like yeah let's do it and um, that's sort of our that's our happy ending and that's the end sort of um (laughs) Then we get we get a uh, the credits starts to roll, but then we get like this like semi post credit scene thing uh, that's hosted by Lemmy from Motorhead, and it's basically a uh, like a PSA, but like a pub, a public service announcement, um, if you will, for um, promoting the acceptance, rights and well being of hermaphrodites everywhere. And in the PSA, there's two hermaphrodites played by uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park, and also the creators of Cannibal the Musical, which can also be watched uh, on Troma Now, their streaming service. And that was uh, the first really big project that they made before uh, they got really famous with South Park was Cannibal the Musical, which I definitely recommend to you if you want to see a, a goofy, it's basically live action South Park you know, but with like a really small budget, but it, Cannibal Music Goal is fucking fantastic, I did an episode on that and, um, but yeah we had Trey Parker, Matt Stone Let Me Kill Mister doing a PSA for the acceptance and the rights and the well-being from, of hermaphrodites and that's the actual end of the movie. Credits roll. The end. That was... Terror Firmer. <laughs> and I like this movie a lot. It's, um... Of all the other movies in Trauma's catalog, that's just way too chaotic and cheap-looking and, like, just kind of a slog to get through. And... Like, this is not one of them. Like, this is a... Uh, I don't know. I've, I have some nostalgia for this movie. You know, this was this came out when I was still in high school. I was, like, starting my senior year in high school when this came out. So, you know, this is kind of the uh, trauma film that... Because, you know, there was, like, Toxic Avenger when I was a kid. I You know, I saw Toxic Crusaders when I was a kid. Which was the cartoon based off of the toxic, uh, toxic Avenger. And then like, you know, and then t- pretty much nothing until terror firmer come, came around you know, in the nineties. And I, re- I actually remember the first time I saw terror firmer, it was a dude I knew in high school. He was into everything. He was into everything cool that I liked. Like he was really into horror movies. He was into, he was really into music. He was like really into guar, <laughs> but he was really into like rap. And, um, and he was also like into cult films and he was like the first guy who was just like, go to his house, smoke a bunch of weed. And he's like, you ever watch trauma movies? And I'm like, I've seen toxic Avenger. And he's like, Oh, they've made like a shitload of movies. He's like, this is like their new one. And he had a copy of terror firmer and, um, yeah, I liked it then. And uh, I like it now. And I definitely recommend it. I think it's a perfect distillation of what trauma uh, is when it's at its best. And, you know, uh, just a heads up, you know, if you haven't seen it, there's... You know, there's a lot of... uh, (laughs) uh, Like I said before, this this movie is a, a slasher film at its heart. And there's a lot of sort of irreverent, non-PC humor in here, so it kind of it kind of uh, diffuses some of the the harsh impact of you know, things like gore nudity, and shit and vomit humor, violence and things like that, when there's, when there's some kind of humor on it it doesn't make it quite as bad I think I know there's a, they talk about child molestation and they talk about raping women in this, but the movie really pulls the nose up at the at the end, where it's basically uh, taking the power away from a rapist by <laughs> raping the rapist, you know. And um, uh, you know, there's there's some female empowerment kind of stuff in here that's well earned. And uh, oh, also I forgot in the like post credit thing after the whole Humphrey thing, we get a scene of Jennifer is now a director at trauma. So they got the whole crew and she's now directing a film. So now like her dream came true of becoming an independent director someday and her dream came true at the end. So that's great. Yes, terror firmer, check it out. I'm a big fan. And um you know what that's gonna be the end of uh at least for now of me covering trauma films. I'll, I'll maybe get into some other ones in the future, but as for right now, I'm just going to you know, I'm going to leave Traumaville and I'll return some other day. I will be back with a new episode of Skeleton Factory in the next few days. So, um yeah. If you guys uh, want to do a free trial of... Uh, I'm, I'm not sponsored by trauma or anything like that. I just... <laughs> I just figure, like, if you want to get, like, a free month of something... Um, and then, you know, if you don't want to fucking pay for trauma... But you if you want, like, a month of just powering through a bunch of fucking trauma movies... Like, go get fucking trauma now. It's like... A, you get a, The first month's free. And if you think everything on there sucks, you can just, uh, you know, cancel <laughs> at the end of a month. Yeah. You have nothing to lose. So thank you so much for listening. Um, If you need to get a hold of me, I can be reached on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. I am currently taking recommendations for um, requests for movies to review. So if you're listening to this and you want me to talk about a certain type of movie, um, just send that my way on Instagram, again, at skeleton underscore factory. I already have one movie um, lined up that I'm going to do, but I want to get a couple more episodes, a couple more movies lined up and do one big uh, listener uh, request episode. So send in your request there. Um, I'm also now... Um, I, on Twitter. So that's you can find the Skeleton Factory podcast on Twitter at SF Podcast A T X. A as in Adam, T as in Texas, and X as in X. That's at S F podcast A T X. That's if you're on uh, Twitter and you wanna, you know, follow me there. Also, if you'd like to support the show, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. And I have separate audio episodes such as uh, what you're listening to right now. I recently did the movie Nope and actually did it with a co-host. Um, I have a couple episodes where I'm actually sitting there talking to someone else besides myself. <laughs> so... Um, And then hopefully in the future, I'll be doing uh, some video content and putting that up there as well, as well as having other uh, guests. So that's at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. Well, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you very, very much for listening. This is Skeleton Factory podcast. I am Adam rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. See you on the next one. Bye. Bye.